This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Today's amazing guest is Hobie Darling. And I found Hobie's bio on the Jaybird blog, and I really think it sums him up. Uh, much easier to copy genius and create mediocrity. So I'm all about making life easy. But this is probably a super cool bio, one of the best bios quick that I've seen in a while. So here it goes. Hobie knows a thing or two about pushing potential. He's helped lead major companies like Volcom, Nike, and Skullcandy competed in Ironman races in the CrossFit Games, and is a founding member of the Liminal Collective, a group whose mission it is to advance the limitless potential of humans, preparing and supporting those who take pioneering steps in extreme, unexplored, and unknown spaces. Whether he's training, trail running, mountain biking, or adventuring, Hobie loves to push himself and those around him. So Hobie, welcome to the show. No, it's great to be here, Ken. I appreciate it. I definitely did not write that bio, but I like it. I'm going to have to find where that came from and, and put that up somewhere. Yeah, I'll send you. That's like the quickest, easiest one to, to put out there. So tell us a little bit about you know yourself, how you got into, into racing, how you got into business, how you did all of that fun stuff, because what you're doing is, is pretty cool. And I think it's you know sort of a, a passion of all of ours. So we'd love to hear how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think I would love to say there's been this straight path, Ken, of I knew exactly what I wanted to do forever. And it's been probably the exact opposite of that, of a very meandering path of, you know, messing up enough times that you finally get to some good spots. But from an outcome perspective, I mean, I think right now, you know, even when I go back, I always kind of assess every morning of when I think about my values and when I'm at my best. And and, and I always kind of go with, with these three of, when I'm inspiring, when I'm caring, and when I'm growing, are when I'm at my best. And that's something that I think I've been able to, to cultivate now, but it's definitely been a meandering road. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up in a, a super small town in central Washington, was not a great student, was not a great athlete. I would say more than anything, probably like a lot of kids growing up was just trying to figure out who am I, what do I want to be doing, what does life look like? Um, and through that meandering journey, whether it was, um, you know, starting out and, and in this small town and, and being an athlete where I probably found uh, most of my passion and where I felt like I could help others and help myself to um, then going to college and, you know, at the time, not really even knowing what I wanted to do at college, you know, probably like many small town kids was one of only a couple of kids that went to college and really just went there to play sports to then probably one that not a lot of people know of, you know, doing that for a year and going, this isn't for me and dropping out of school and moving to Mexico and going, gosh, how do I find myself? And what does that look like to then, um, you know, just having amazing mentors that I would say caught me in some of those journeys to being able to then um, be at some places like Volcom at great places as we were going public and growing the business and taking it um, from being public to then selling it to PPR to being at Nike and probably getting to run one of the most defining 
divisions for Nike that now kind of 10 years later has been a big part of where it's going with digital and the digital athlete and digital consumer um, to now with Liminal Collective and being able to really bring those passions that I think I've probably learned over a lifetime um, of how do we think about unlocking human potential? What does that look like both from a research side and the neuroscience side of it, but also from when we think about what are the best in the world doing and what can we learn from them? And then maybe even more so that tip of the spear that goes, how do we take this combination of research plus what the practitioners of best world are doing and reimagine what's possible off of that? And so that's how I get to spend most of my time today, whether that's with great athletes or whether that's with great creatives or government, um, surgeons, et cetera, are really getting to think about that. How do we reimagine potential and what does that look like? No. And I think that's a, you know, that's a huge thing right now. Right. And it's, and it's a passion of mine as well to see what you can do, where you can be and where you can go. And I don't think it used to be, you'd hit certain ages, you know, like you, you should be shutting down. And I think it's just the opposite. I, you know, I'm 47 and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm just picking up speed to keep going because this is when it's fun because you can actually afford to do some of the things you really want to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's such an interesting thing, you know, and, and I reflected on this with a lot of friends, especially ones that I would say, you know, that have just cranked where they're investment bankers or accountants or lawyers or, you know, CEOs. And, and it was almost this, if I work really hard for X amount of time, let's call that 30 years, then I can go sit on the golf course and just go hang out and I'm quote retired and that's the good life. And I think what we're just seeing more and more, again, whether it's through the neuroscience of happiness and flourishing or what we see in lifespan increasing, you know, you start to go, that's not a very fulfilling life of just that, let's crush it, then I'm gonna go sit on the golf course. And I think for me, and it sounds like the same for you, Ken, and for a lot of the people that I've been lucky to surround myself with, it's, this is, uh, you know, and I'm just picking a number here, but this is a hundred year journey. And how are we gonna think about that hundred year journey um, and all the time being in growth mode and all the time being in thriving mode and all the time surrounding ourselves with people, you know, who are pushing the edges. And I think you're right. That's a big change from, you know, I, I think even if you went to our parents' generation where, you know, retirement was that big thing. And so I'm with you. I mean, I'm 45. Um, I actually just put a post up the other day on my Instagram, you know, where I was saying, I think the world is changing so much. And one of my goals is I think about being 50 and being in better shape than when I was 20. Um, and I think the same thing, whether that's in shape, whether that's flourishing in relationships, whether that's how are you a force multiplier for the communities around you, world's just changing. No, it's crazy. And, and I've actually got a friend of mine that I, that I trained with, Adventure Racing, and he's 61, and he's a guide on Mount Washington, and he goes out and crushes me all the time, and, it, and it's a blast because it's, it, I get inspired by guys like that. It, I get inspired by people that, are, you know, that, that have this experience and sort of guys like that have, what is it, you know, even we, we, I start using the term old man fitness, but it's amazing what it is and where they can go, and it just it keeps pushing you, number one. Number two, it makes you realize that you can keep going hard for a long, long time in your life. Uh, it, it's so true. You know, and, and I think it's that, you know, there, there is a flip for sure where our physiology changes in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. But with that being said, it goes, hey, just because my VO2 max goes down a couple points or potentially my lactate threshold goes down a couple points, 
we now know that the mental side of the game is so much more once I hit a, you know, a physiological, you know, let's just call it, um, you know, place where I can do those things. Now my mind comes in and man, oh man, you know, to your point, what you call it old man fitness or whatever, you know, or old woman fitness. And you go, the things where you've just lived through the pain and you've lived through going, I know I can take another step. I know I can walk another mile. I know that I can, you know, just do this is so much more powerful. Um, you know, and at least for me, like it's gotten me so much more into not just my, you know, I call it my early career where I was a personal trainer and a CrossFit coach and some of those things where I would say it was very physical in how I thought about the world, you know, and it was, okay, let's go do all the baseline testing across physiological measures. And I would say where I love to spend more time now is on the mental side of performance and whether that's, you know, talking about central governor theory, et cetera, of how we get through things that are hard or why we stop, but also even to the next part, you know, where we start to go, what does it even look like um, when we take that performance part and we start to think in creativity and doing things different and reimagining the rules and what that can look like? Um, you know, I think it's just so, just so interesting. No, and, and, and it's true. And I also think too, is there's so many devices out there that everyone uses, right? From Whoop to Strava to, to any of it. But what it fails to, what they do fail to um, recognize is the feeling, right? And, and the understanding of what your actually body feels like. Because believe me, there's been plenty of times that I feel like I'm going as hard as I could ever go and my heart rate's at like a buck 50. And then sometimes I feel like I'm not even going and it's at, you know, 180 and can go and pin it there for an hour. Um, and, and the feeling piece, I think, is a piece that has largely been ignored, but I think it's starting to come back into play. If you just watched, was it the final stage of the tour, the, uh, the kid who won the time trial there didn't have a power meter, didn't have anything. And he ended up making up two minutes on the leader, right? So there's a lot to be said with that. Yeah, I think it starts with what you said there too. And, you know, and I say this with, I have the, the greatest respect for what whoop and others are doing um you know Kristen Holmes is a is a great friend and she's always inspiring me with what they're figuring out at whoop around the physiology I think there's also that balance that goes you know we are part of this ancient system and you know of our just our evolutionary biology of just feeling what it feels like to be in nature and you know just not having anything around us and being able to be part of something bigger that's going on. And so I think there's, you know, there's kind of a place for both of them. And I mean, I love wearing my whoop and I have an aura and, you know, that have certainly, I think played with almost all of the, the wearable tech. And I think it has a great place. Um, and then I also, you know, just love to spend a lot of time that just goes, and, and, and I would say it's where I probably find my best self when I don't have anything other than I may be listening to a podcast. So I'm a little bit getting out of, you know, just my strict prefrontal cortex of thinking what's going on right here. And I'm sort of pulling back and listening and learning, but being on top of a mountain, you know, or even if I take my workout from this morning and was listening to a, you know, a brain neuroscience podcast and even interested in that, I think about like I'm doing rope climbs and I'm listening to this podcast and time even changes, you know, on that, like the rope climbs, just not as hard because my mind's thinking of something else kind of in this, you know, deep neuroscience, listening to Lex Friedman um, and so, yeah, I mean, those, those parameters are just changing. And I think we're just at the tip of even understanding what they are. No, and it's so, so funny. I do the same thing when I go running or riding my bike for two, three, four hours at a time is, you know, you put a podcast in and it's so funny because your brain, all of a sudden I remember something. If I drive by a certain area, I'm like, oh, that's what I heard in the podcast, right? Right now. And, and it reminds you of that stuff. But 
it takes, like you were saying, from your prefrontal cortex to somewhere else. And it's, it's amazing. It's a special thing. Same with books. I remember, you know, certain chapters or books or certain when I see certain things or when I come across certain areas of, you know, where I would run or ride my bike. And, and, that, and that's huge. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting to say that because I mean, I mean, I think there's great research around movement and learning and, you know, how we do process that from a, a neurological perspective. Um, but I found the same thing. I mean, one of the, this was probably, gosh, I don't know, maybe two years ago that I really got into listening to podcasts while I trail ran. And one, both on, on just how open my mind would become you know, when you think about kind of being out in the backcountry, being in the middle of nowhere, listening to something really interesting. But two, I also noticed how differently I processed information. My integration skills went up so much higher to where now, you know, I run with my phone. I have, you know, it's kind of a Solomon vest, have my phone sitting here. And then I have, you know, to go to the Jaybird, I have my Jaybird headphone in, you know, and I'm, and I'm listening on one ear and I have one ear that's in nature. And then I have my phone and you know, all the time I'll be listening to a podcast and running and I do the, you know, Siri, take a note because something that I've thought of in this other book that I'd read or something's going on in my life or something I'm feeling, I think that goes back to your point, like feeling that in nature just comes right in with what I've just been reading. And so, I mean, I now just have lists of these, these audio notes that I have on my phone. I'm the exact same way, backcountry skiing, skinning up, it's dark out and things come to you. And I have to do it right then and there because if I don't, I won't remember it by the time I get down to the, to the end of the run. And, it, and it's crazy. One thing I learned is when I was out running, because I don't like to run with a phone because it's just one more thing, but I would, let's say I came up with three ideas and the ideas started with the letters BFG or something like that. So I knew I couldn't remember the, all the ideas, but then I would remember, all right, BFG, that's all I need to remember to get back. And then I can extrapolate back and remember what B meant and what F meant and what G meant, right? You know, those types of things. And, and that's helped me a lot too with, with exactly saying what you're doing, but no, believe me, I've got, when I'm backcountry skiing, I have my phone with me and yeah, there's plenty of notes in there. It's great. Yeah, it, it's one I'd love to learn learn more on. One of one of our our, our good friends and part of Liminal um, is a professor at Stanford in neuroscience, Andrew Huberman, and is one of the leaders in this of just this idea. You know, I think of how are we taking in data from outside via our eyes, via our senses. How are we thinking about that? You know, and 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 how how does our brain take in that information? And like I say, to how do they integrate it? But I'm the same way. Is the reason I bring this up of you know, I'll have, oh my gosh, you know, four or five thoughts like, oh my gosh, this is just so profound, you know? And if I don't put it into that speaker, by the time I go from that movement state outside Vista effect, whatever's going on, and I don't know, you know, in my brain from a neuroscience perspective, but then I get home, I'm stretched out, I've taken a shower, and it's just like those four big ideas, I couldn't come up with them to save my life. But <laughs> As soon as I put them, you know, as soon as I put them into the, the audio, then it just recues all of them. No, it's huge. Yeah. And what do they say? Thoughts are things. And if you don't take action on it, they're going to yeah. go, go to the next person, right? It's how many times have you seen on made for TV, this great idea that you had, but obviously you didn't take action and then it went to the next person and, and they took action and there goes your million dollar idea. It's so true. You know, one of my colleagues, uh, Coleman Ruiz, um, who was a Naval Special Warfare Officer and Development Group. And, and one of the questions I love that he asked one time of our team, you know, is this idea of 
so many of us have the same ideas. So many of us have the same inspiration. So many of us go, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. And why is it that that small, small, small percentage of people actually act on it and get it done? And I think it reflects back on what you said, you know, the ideas and so forth, you know, are awesome, but it's the execution that really differentiates good from great. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the Liminal Collective. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Sure. So it is a, a group that's made up of, you know, there are probably 10 partners now that are on the, you know, kind of day to day of it. And then a significant number of people on the outside that really just have, I would say, a very big goal of how do we reimagine potential um, for individuals, for teams, for organizations. And part of the beauty of it and why I've had so much fun with it is it's one kind of combining what are the big ideas that we want to solve? We call it, you know, what are humanity's boldest endeavors? Number one, so big ideas, but combining that with people who are going, I want to take a cross collaborative look at this. And I really want to think about how do we solve these big challenges? And so one of the things, you know, I think we've learned is if we can put out these big challenges, the smartest people in the world want to come work on them. You know, so people that, Everything from, you know, professors at Stanford and Northwestern and North Carolina on the neuroscience side to surgeons at Cleveland Clinic to Naval Special Warfare to creatives at Cirque du Soleil. They all go, when you put this big problem out there, everyone wants to come play in the sandbox. And so we've been able with this community, um, you know, to, to, to really create a, a group that I think is pretty unparalleled out there to think about these big ideas. And so... Um, we'll work across, um, we'll call them moonshot projects, which we usually don't talk too much about, um, cause they're generally kind of confidential in nature of who we're doing with them. But how do we go solve, um, a big problem with this community, um, to one of the things that when we formed it, we have a deep belief on is let's make sure that we're pushing that 1% with the moonshots, but let's also make sure that we're not just working with the 1%. We're also teaching those frameworks, listening to the other 7 billion people on the planet. And so we've started a, a media company that's just in its infancy um, with, the, with the partners. And so doing some original programming as well as some third-party programming around that. But again, with this idea of what can we, what can we learn from these 1% or even the 1% of the 1% of what they're doing to up-level um, you know, kind of, kind of everybody, you know, and every team and what could that look like? Um, and then we have a wonderful partnership, uh, with our parent company Logitech, where we get to think, I would call it even more broadly of we're very focused on the human side of people. And of course, Logitech has the engineering and the technology side. And so it's kind of brought together this beautiful partnership where we can look at deep at the human and with Logitech, we can look deep on the technology and it becomes this incredible combination of human times technology to reimagine what's possible. And no, and that's, and uh, this is the next gen, right? Of business, life and sport. I think, you know, we, we've sort of topped out of the external side and now going internal and really understanding that type of stuff. Like you were saying, the neuroscience or the sort of stealing fire from Kotler and Wheel and, and those guys. And that's, 
And that's fascinating to me. And I think that's what's, that's where business is going. And, and a lot of businesses that aren't really thinking about that better start thinking about that because I think yeah. that's the direction of actual performance from software to hardware to AI to everything in between. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think especially now living in technology and, you know, in the world of Silicon Valley, et cetera. And I think there's always this drive to the technology, to the technology, you know, what can we make? And it, and it really quickly um, can fall out of or forget about pulling back to the foundation that goes, all of this is about the human. And when we say it's all about the human, you know, that is a system that's been around for millennia and evolving over millennia, but, you know, pulls back to that at the end of the day, we still, for the most part, in how we act and how we accomplish, how we interact with other people, you know, is back to this, you know, very, again, ancient system of our autonomic nervous system and our central nervous system and how we process being part of a tribe and how we process, you know, why I want to succeed or why I want to do different things um, on it. And so I think it's, it, the magic does come from when we can really pull ourselves back to let's think of the human side of this. And now how do we amplify that human side with technology and with innovation? And, and, and that's just been, you know, again, for millennia, part of what we do, what makes us unique as humans, right? We don't have sharp teeth. We don't have, you know, claws. We don't have shells. We don't have any of those things yet at the end of the, you know, as of today, we sort of, you know, quote, uh, you know, are sort of the rulers of the earth. And it's because we've been able to take our ancient system and combine that with tools, technology, innovation to do all the things that we're doing now. We're all, yeah, all we are is rational thinking animals, right? And that we're not that much different than a squirrel or any, we just, you know, rationalize things. And I think if you sort of go back, I love what you're saying. If you go back to that, you know, we're an ancient machine that's all of a sudden getting turbocharged that doesn't necessarily have the tools to, or the chassis to, to hold that turbocharge, right? Is, is really where we're going. Yeah. I, and, it, and it's interesting. I mean, even, I don't know, um, you know, if you've watched, uh, what is it, the social, not the social dilemma. Uh, anyway, the new show that's talking about social media, you know, and our kids, um, you know, and I think that's one of the things you see is you see, you know, you take a, a 12 year old or a 13 year old, my kids are, you know, 12 and 10, so I can relate here, you know, and you throw them in at very early brain development, you know, not fully functioning prefrontal cortexes, et cetera, executive function. And then you throw them into social media and what they're seeing and the pressures that go along with that. And you go, the technology is just way overrun our ancient system, you know, and then we ask ourselves the question of like, why are these kids not happy? You know, when they, when they see what's going on with that and it's pretty easy to pull back and go, Hey, this has gone to technology versus caring about the human. Right. No, exactly. And I think, and there's a fine line with it too. It's also as well, it's, you know, they also, you know, I'm sort of the philosophy, they need to be learning technology or they're going to be left behind. I think, I think the kids adapted to this whole remote schooling thing better than the parents did because they understand that and they understand how to, Oh, we just boot up zoom and where we, there we go. Right. And whereas, six months or before, you know, a year ago, if I would try to do a zoom interview, people had no idea what to do, what to dress, how to deal with it. Right. And, and everything else. And it's sort of, you know, we just turbocharge that a little bit moving forward. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, <laughs> how much easier it is, especially when you're young to learn those. And, and I would even take that back though, again, to the, you know, some of that is that acknowledgement of the ancient system, you know, that's going, what does it do? It learns, it adapts, right. it survives, you know? And so when you put those tools in front of it, it, it generally will do that as long as I think we can be smart, you know, on, on how we're combining those. Of course. Um, yeah, I'm putting them together. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. You're still, you know, competing. You're still training. You're running, you know, a major division at Logitech. How are you? How do you pull all of it off? I think you know because everyone's always wondering how's that guy do that or how's that woman do that. And and I sort of love to hear how everyone's philosophies are different or how they you know how they can pull this stuff off. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting on that question because people have definitely asked me that question before. Um, you know, and, and I think for me, it comes down to prioritization and it comes down to community, you know, and, 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 and maybe the last thing I would say, and it comes down to some habits. Um, so if I put sort of those three buckets and, you know, I said for me at different points in my career, but, you know, priorities now go number one, you know, is my family. Number two is my health. Number three is my job. By the way, that doesn't mean my job is unimportant. It just means that it's number three and all of those things are massively important to me. And so, you know, when I get up, first thing that I think about is, okay, you know, my wife, honey, I love you. Thank you for being there. You know, all of those things that we're all so thankful for. But then the second is it's like movement and health. So, you know, it's up at kind of five, five thirty now. Um, get up and I'm moving usually outside. And then the third part where that comes in really quickly for me is with community, you know, have a great group of men and women that, you know, we used to get out kind of five, six days a week. Now with COVID, it's a little more two, three, but it's the, you know what, it's dark out, it's cold out. We're all there together. We're all suffering there a little bit together. And so, you know, that's where I try to keep those going. So it's like family movement and health community, and then through the day, you know, I try to just be very efficient with what I say yes and what I say no to. I think one of the, you know, biggest mistakes I made early on is I would just say yes to everything. It's like, yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, and now I think I'm a lot more discerning in both respecting myself and my own time, but also going when I'm going to commit to something, I'm going to give it the very best that I have. And that's the best respect that I can give for the people around me in my community versus saying yes to um, everything. Um, you know, on the habit side, I mean, I am very regimented, which, you know, sort of goes against sort of the, the neuroscience around seeking unique experiences. But, you know, pretty much I am. I'm up at 530, like I said, then it's working out, um, then it's back. I have sort of gotten into this idea of have a shake in the morning, sort of just protein and veggies, etc., then generally off of that, not eating anything until lunch, you know, then I'll generally have a healthy lunch in that first hour or two of the day. I try to have a deep thought session. So I try to take kind of an hour, usually this during this time, usually between eight and nine um, in the morning. Here's sort of my deep thinking where either I'm going to write or I'm going to read or I'm going to learn something new. Um, you know, then I, it's definitely kind of a march, a march through the day. I try to, you know, kind of get up and have at least a little bit of movement every couple hours. I think that's been harder for people in this Zoom economy where you just go Zoom, 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 Zoom. So I, I have zooming found, around. Oh, just Zooming. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you've done this, Ken, but I have found now in my calendar, you know, I just block 
30 minute chunks every couple hours mm-hmm. where it's just like, nope, not going to be on my calendar. You know, I am going to go for a walk or go give my kids a high five or whatever that is. It's going to regenerate me a little bit. Um, and then I try really hard, you know, at kind of six thirty ish to just shut everything down. And I think especially in today, again, kind of that zoom world where everything's just kind of meshing together, it's really hard to shut down. So I try really hard to do that. Um, you know, and then the last one, you know, that, or maybe not the last one, but you know, that I put on hub where I just have found great joy. And I think it goes back to being part of something bigger than yourself is, um, you know, I generally am coaching one of our kids sports. And so, you know, kind of at that six, six thirty, it's like, okay, it's time to go coach lacrosse, you know, or go coach whatever it is. And then, so that kind of takes me into, you know, leaving that work environment going into now I get to be a coach. Now I get to inspire. Now you have, you know, 10, 11 year olds looking up to you and going, you know, how, how do I want to act? And what does that look like? Um, and then, you know, I'm almost always in bed by eight thirty, nine o'clock and do it all over again. And I love it. No. And it's very similar philosophy. I call it the three F's family, fitness, and finance, right. And, or finances. And that's yeah. sort of the same thing. It's, and, and I think that balance, and, and I really notice when one of those really gets kicked out of it, right. You know, of, Oh, I'm working out too much. Are they going to bring that back? Or I'm working too hard. I got to bring that back or this, or, the, you know, and, and, and I think that's, you, you learn with discipline and I, you know, and it sounds like you're doing the same thing. I'm a, I'm a big fan of looking at my calendar and say, Hey, I've got an hour and and what can I do in an hour? Right. And you can do a a workout an hour. That'll take you to your knees. I don't care what it is. Go do, go do death by burpees. You'll be done in 15 minutes and or 20 minutes and (laughs) you're not going to be able to walk. So there's no excuse for not finding 20 minutes somewhere. And you don't even need shoes or clothes or anything. You can, you know, do that in your underwear. I, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I hear that I'm a morning workout person just because, you know, number one, I know there's going to be nothing that's going to compete with that. And number two, I just feel like it supercharges my day. But I think like a lot of people are like, oh, Hobie, it's easy for you just to get up. You're just used to it. And I'm like, oh, man, when I'm sitting in bed and it's, you know, cold out and I'm wrapped up in my comfort, I'm the last person who wants to get up. And, you know, one of the mantras that I, that I come back to all the time um, that a friend of mine, a guy named Andy Stump gave me, you know, it was just this idea of just like, there's discipline and regret and you get to choose every single time, which one you want to have. You want to sleep in and not be disciplined? Guarantee you'll regret it later on that you didn't do it. And so all the time, like when my alarm goes off and I'm warm and I'm comfy and I'm sitting there, you know, I have Andy sitting in my head. It's like, discipline or regret? Which one do you want? It's like, okay, roll out of bed. Here we go. Um, you know, and I think a lot of that too, and I'm sure you do the same, Ken, you know, for me is I just take out everything that could stop me from working out in the morning. Like I set my clothes out in the morning. They're sitting right there in the bathroom. So I don't wake up my wife when I get up. I have, a, you know, a little kind of pre-workout shake that's sitting in the fridge. I have my headlamp and everything ready to go. And it's just like beeline out. Nothing that, nothing that can slow me down. And I think when you take away those little barriers, it becomes much easier too. 
oh my God, it's huge. I'm the same way. If I know I'm going to get up tomorrow and go for a ride, or if I'm going to go backcountry ski, or if I'm gonna, I have everything lined up the night before, because if I, if it stops or something screws up, I've all of a sudden lost five minutes. Right. And, and I don't want to do that. And like, oh shit, I got to drive back or I got to, you know, I forgot my water bottle or something like that. And it's no, it's like, Hey, I've got a, a finite amount of time. And that's where I'm terrible. I'm terrible at waiting for people. That that kills me. If I know I only have an hour, hour and a half, I'm like, either you're there or you're not, right? It's 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 time to go. And, and it's Wait, go I, time. I do follow that one for sure. You know, it's funny. One of our um, one new people who's come and worked out with us, uh, a gal that I just have, have come to love that was a rower at Columbia. And she showed up, you know, like one of our workouts, we start right at 6 a.m. It's like, hey, you warm yourself up. You're ready to go. And at 6 a.m. it starts. You know, and, and she came at 6.05 and then she came the next day at six. And I remember her, you know, saying to me, uh, you know, after that, she's like, okay, what I've really realized is that the workout starts at 5.55. And if I'm not there and ready to go, I'm going to be late because you guys aren't waiting. <laughs> yeah, the bus, is, the bus is leaving, right? It's, who was it? What was one of the football, I forget, football or basketball coach, you know, Lombardi or one of those guys. Actually, no, it was a, was a guy I work with, Steve Toshis, who he was the head coach of Princeton football. And when the bus is leaving at three in the afternoon and you're not on it, the bus is leaving. He didn't care. And he's like, it's remarkable how when a kid misses a bus, they'll never miss a bus ever, ever again. It's so true. I couldn't agree more. So, but anyways, Hobie, this has been awesome. This is, you know, I love your insight. We could definitely do a round two here. What could, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about what you're up to and the Liminal Collective and everything else? Sure. You can definitely go to Liminal Collective, which is just www.liminalcollective.co. Um, and we have a lot up there. Like I say, we don't share everything because a lot of what we do is a little bit confidential, but we definitely um, share some things up on there. We have a blog on there that we write on fairly frequently. Um, personally, I occasionally post to my Instagram. Um, you can find, I think is Hobie Darling, maybe Hobie underscore Darling. Um, I don't post there a ton, but you can get a, at least a little bit of idea what's going on at 5.30, 6am in Park City. Awesome. And no, this has been an honor. It's been great to have you on. Like I said, I've, I love all the stuff that you're doing. It's, and it's such an exciting time out there. And, and if any of the listeners have any questions, comments, feedback, feel free to email me at kenintheexecutiveathletes.com. But make sure you go out there, keep going after it, keep crushing it and find those hours in your day to make it happen. Thanks for listening.